Well, friends, uh, as we continue, we are, uh, as was already mentioned in this series on calling, we've been uh, talking about our calling, talking about what it means to respond uh, to uh, God's invitation in our life over these past few weeks through the lens of Moses' story here in Exodus. And we've covered a lot of ground. I won't uh, try and re-preach the last four messages uh, this morning. But if I were to sum it up in a sentence, give you the, the TLDR version, it might be something like finding and following God's call is about learning to listen to God and to trust him not only to guide us but to sustain us in what he has for us. And this morning, I want to dig a little bit deeper and and suggest to you even that there's perhaps an unlikely uh, space from which we can often get guidance about the unique calling that God has on our lives. And this unique space is, uh, honestly, our stories. Like, it's, it's you. It's your life. And this is ironic because I think oftentimes our own lives are actually the last place that we look Uh, when we are trying to discern calling or what we're supposed to do in the world. It's so tempting, isn't it, to imitate somebody else. I don't know if this has ever resonated for you. I know I've been guilty of this at times, but probably the most humorous example of this that I've personally witnessed uh, comes by way of a friend who, for the purposes of the story, shall remain anonymous. Uh, But my friend was an aspiring worship leader. Uh, He was really talented. He was a singer, songwriter, and he had all the passion in the world for Jesus. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but back in this guy's uh, budding career, this was the era when like Mighty to Save was topping the charts in the Christian world, right? Uh, it was when Hillsong was first blowing up and everybody was buying those CDs. I know, again, CDs, right? But uh, my friend, he, he was so into Hillsong worship. Like, he loved it. He played it on repeat all the time. You know, he was matching the look, matching the gestures, the things that people would stay uh, from the stage. But it really crossed the line when he started to pray. And... and not because prayer. Prayer is awesome. But, but specifically, this, this young dude from North Carolina, early 20s, would begin to pray. And as soon as he began to pray in kind of this worship leader format, the man would manifest as an Australian. Right? <laughs> like, straight up, like, go from, like, southern accent to Aussie accent. Right? Because, because that was what he knew. Like, this is what it means to be a worship leader is, like, apparently I need to be Australian. Looking back, I think we can all laugh on it, and uh, it's admittedly a little bit of a ridiculous example, but, you know, I am suspicious that many of us actually tell stories to ourselves that are not that dissimilar, right? Oftentimes, we're looking at somebody else and, and wondering, like, why my calling can't be like theirs, uh, maybe you experience this as well. Maybe when you think of calling, what comes to mind for you is somebody up here, like Josh or Rashad, Mandy, somebody, somebody with a mic, somebody on stage, somebody who has musical gifting like Caleb, somebody who's uh, taking action to serve their neighbors, uh, like the story we heard this morning with Jason or other people in our community, uh, people like Andy who's working with unhoused neighbors or Ashley who's fostering, like For some of us, I think we think about like, oh, that is what calling looks like. It looks like living out our faith in these specific ways. And no argument. These people may well be living their calling. That's awesome. We want to celebrate that. But following our calling isn't always a job that we do vocationally. 
It's not always a role within the church. I think we also need some people to be like software engineers and scientists, plumbers and project managers. Those jobs are just as important as pastors. And so I suspect that oftentimes we actually miss the unique invitation that God has for us. For you and for me, because instead of noticing the clues in our own story, we're instead looking at everyone else and imagining what it might look like if we were them. See, God's calling starts with our unique stories and uses what we already have. We see this in Moses' story here in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. In Exodus uh, 3 and verse 10, we read that uh, God sends Moses to Pharaoh to bring his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I'm going to say some things this morning that are pretty obvious, but I want you to pay attention to them. The first thing is that Moses is a Jewish dude, right? He was born into this family of Abraham. He was raised by his mother for the first few years of his life, despite being adopted into Pharaoh's household. So when God is sending Moses back to rescue these people, that's not just a random people. It's his people. It's his family. God sends Moses home. But of course, Moses just wasn't just any Jewish man. He was, in all likelihood, the only Jewish man with intimate knowledge of Pharaoh's court. You see, Moses knew not only the plight of God's people, but also the intrigue of the palace. Like, he had grown up in that space, surrounded by the royal court in Egypt. Moses has this unique story of bridging two different worlds— And it turns out that God sends him precisely into the intersection of those two worlds, his unique story. Not only that, but when we fast forward to chapter 4, we find in our text today that was read by Nicole that Moses, you know, he asks, am I really equipped to walk out this calling? And and God responds to him in chapter 4 and verse 2, we read, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? We were talking about this text this Thursday on our prayer call, and somebody made the comment that, man, these signs are seemingly random, right? It's it's pretty odd, like a, a staff turning into a snake, a hand turning leprous. Like, if God is out here handing out superpowers like some spider skills, you know, some Hulk smashing abilities, seems like it would have been a little bit more useful. Like, why these particular signs? And don't miss this, man. This is crucial. God starts with what we already have. God starts with what we have. He, he uses it. Of course, he goes beyond it, but he doesn't start from some random place. He starts from our unique stories, our unique situations, the gifts and talents that we already have. Let me tell you, just like in the, the parable of the loaves and the fishes, that if you will offer up to God that which you have, no, no matter how meager, no matter how humble it might seem, it, you, your, your hand, your stick might, might feel like nothing against the weight of an army and an empire. But if you'll offer what you have to God, he can make much of it, transforming it to be exactly what you need. God uses what we have to do what we cannot do. Look, friends, when it comes to calling, I think so often we stop honestly where I stopped when I read the same article that Jason read. I was like, oh, bummer. That stinks. Somebody ought to do something about that. 
And look, I, I, don't, I don't think that every single one of us is supposed to respond to every article that we read. Right? You do not have bandwidth or capacity to, to carry all of the outrage and the anger and, the, and the, the grief of every injustice and every situation in the world. It's too much. It will crush you. But while you can't do everything, you can do something. You can do something. And when we look at these issues like the refugee crisis, the homelessness in our neighborhoods, people ODing right around the corner on mass and casts, right? When we look at neighborhood violence, when we look at things like uh, the atrocities happening in Gaza or, or any of a thousand others, you pick. It just feels overwhelming. And look, I, I know many of you, most Christians I know want to help, like want to be part of the solution, right? We're not, we're not trying to be apathetic. We're just busy. And distracted. And, and the problems of the world feel overwhelming. Sometimes we're waiting to like, maybe when I get more capacity, I'll do something. Where do I even start? Like Jason, when he stepped into that first phone call, it was like, roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. This call doesn't work. That website has a broken link. What's going on? Oftentimes, when we begin to step towards these issues, it's not easy. It's not simple. And Amidst the, the craziness of our lives and schedules, it's so easy to just pray a prayer and stay more or less on the sidelines, not joining God in the work that he's doing in the world. Look, friends, you are not called to solve every problem, but you are called to do something. And when we begin to discern what our something is, like, what is my unique calling? What is the thing that God is inviting me towards? God uses our stories. He uses our longing and our limits, not just our gifts and strengths, but also our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, to lead us towards his calling on our lives. What is that thing in your life that you find yourself always complaining about? Right? What's that thing that, honestly, you are angry about, you're furious about that's happening in the world? What is it that grieves you deeply? Have you considered that that might not just be because that thing is awful? Like, granted, it's awful. But like, also, it might be that, that God has actually placed something in you, placed something in your story that is sparking in response to that need. It's at these points where we are invited to move towards something. See, you can't do it all, but you can do something. God uses our longings, our frustrations, even our traumas to lead us towards our calling. But this is really the big idea I want to share with you this morning. It is so easy to miss this because I think oftentimes the clues to our calling are not simply our gifts and our strengths. Right? If it was just our gifts and our strengths, that's pretty easy. Most of us have some awareness of our gifts and strengths. But oftentimes, God actually leads us towards our calling through our wounds. God leads us towards our calling through our wounds. And this is tricky because, look, we all want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want others to think that we're cool. And so those parts of us that are, are painful, those parts of us that are shameful, those parts of us that are broken are the last places that we want to look at, they're certainly the last places that we want to tell anybody else about, those are painful to us. And so sometimes we distance ourselves from them. 
Some of you know that I have personally had quite a wild journey in my life. I'm a weirdo. I am not yet 40 years old, but it feels like I've already lived uh, several lifetimes. And uh, one part of my story is that I grew up in a very conservative, fundamentalist Christian tradition. Like all communities, it was a mixed bag. There was certainly good. There were lovely people and beautiful things. But there were also aspects of the faith that I came up in that were dangerous, toxic, and painful. The church of my childhood blended scripture and the story of Jesus with a colorblind racism, with patriarchy, American exceptionalism, Christian nationalism, capitalism, in ways that I would now describe as idolatrous. It was a perversion of the gospel. It was a space in which uh, the church culture and reputation was used to shield abusers and shame victims. It was a church culture that in so many ways brimmed with hypocrisy and judgment and fostered an us-versus-them mentality in which we got to be right and they got to be wrong. They were othered and, and our behavior was justified because they were the bad guys. We had the truth. As I was sharing uh, some of this story with a friend here in Boston for the first time earlier this week, he was like, dude, this is wild. I didn't know this about you. Some of you don't know this about me and are finding this out for the first time. And, and he said, man, like, it's wild that you are here right now. He said, man, I think you, like, escaped the matrix. You are not supposed to get out. Like, how did, how did you go from there to, like, relatively normal? Not, not, like, all the way, but... And it's true. Many of my peers stayed in that subculture. They're still there. Or, or those who didn't responded to the toxicity and the abuse and the hypocrisy and that by just abandoning their faith and walking away altogether. It has taken me decades of hard work, of internal work, to extricate myself from this history. Not just leaving the community. That was painful and hard, but that was the easy part. The hard part has been unwinding the ways in which some of these stories and postures have lived on in my own soul the ways I continue to see the world and show up in ways that are, are colored by this culture that I grew up in. And the temptation for me now, having arrived in a very different place, hopefully, uh, as most of you experience me, in a, a very different posture and place these days, but the temptation for me is at this point in my story to minimize and distance myself from that history. And, and, and fair enough. Right? That history is painful. I bet many of you wouldn't want to be associated with religious fundamentalism and racism either. Like, not super cool things. Maybe you have some history you'd prefer to stay hidden and in the past as well. But here's the thing. So much of my calling today is shaped by this very story. See, God does not waste our stories. God does not waste our stories. Come on, somebody talk to me. That's it. That's, God does not waste our stories, friends. See, among other things, God has called me to help others move beyond a shallow, reductionistic, complicit faith that's been distorted by cultural ideologies. One of the main reasons that I think God has me in this city, in this place, is because it's a place where so many of my friends, so many of my peers who are smart and curious and not following Jesus have rejected the very faith that I grew up in, the very faith that I too have rejected.
right? Because they're responding to a version of Jesus that is not the real Jesus. They are responding to a distortion of scripture that I believe is not the real representation of the story of scripture. They are, are skeptical for valid reasons. And I want to say, yeah, me too. I get it. I feel it. This is my story too. Some pastors panic when they hear people deconstructing. I don't. Man, for me, I'm like, yes, let's go. Right? Now, admittedly, like, it's totally possible to deconstruct in unhelpful ways, to throw the baby out with the bathwater, all of these things. But, man, I'll tell you what, I am so grateful for the deconstructing I did because there were parts of the faith that I grew up with that need to be torn down. There were foundations that things were established on that were not firm and trustworthy. And see, I have, I have gone through that journey. I have taken that journey and found a Jesus that is good news, a Jesus that is worth believing in, the Jesus that started the first multiracial, multinational movement in the history of the world, a, a Jesus who is for not only the rich and powerful, but the poor and the oppressed, a Jesus who truly is good news and a scripture that tells his story and points us to a way of life that allows us to flourish. Look, man, I am, you may notice, like, I get fired up about this stuff. I am passionate about it. And the reason that I am passionate about it is because it comes from my story. It's not somebody else's. It's not just like I read it on a website and it sounded cool. Like, I have traveled this journey with, with fear and trembling and, and many, many tears. And so this is me. But friends, don't you see, here's what I, I say this because don't you see how easy it would be for me to miss what is actually possible because I was ashamed and embarrassed of this chapter of my life. I, I am ashamed and embarrassed of some of the, the individuals and the institutions and the ideologies that I've been associated with in the past. If you ask me where I went to college, I like, I want to caveat that a little bit. I want you to know that that's not where I'm at right now, right? It, sometimes when these things come up, it's, it's painful for me to grapple with that because there is a part of my history that I, wear, I very much want to distinguish and differentiate myself from. But in our efforts to distance ourselves from parts of our stories that are painful, I think so often we miss the fact that it is precisely through our wounds precisely through our healing journeys, precisely through these places in our story that we discover our work in the world. Look, your story is undoubtedly different from mine, but here's what I'm saying this morning. That aspect of your identity that feels embarrassing, that chapter of your story that feels shameful, that you wish you could erase, that you hope nobody finds out about, what if it's precisely there that the clues to your calling lie? Now hear me, I'm not suggesting this morning that every evil thing that we experience is somehow purposed by God or a good thing just because God will use it. I'm not suggesting that God purposed you to endure the things that you experience. I get it. Some people in this room have endured awful, awful things. Maybe you were sexually abused as a child. Maybe you were raped. Maybe you were abandoned and are still searching for your parents or an adopted family. Maybe you grew up so acutely aware of your difference from everyone else because of a physical or mental disability or because of 
a racial or cultural identity that was different from the majority. Maybe you have the absolute opposite story. Maybe you grew up in a ton of wealth, in a space that is hard to imagine for many of your peers. You had wild privilege, and now it feels kind of embarrassing because so many other people didn't have that. Maybe you're a recovering workaholic. Maybe you have a journey with mental health. Friends, what I'm trying to suggest to you today, that regardless of what your story has been, these points of pain, wherever you have taken a healing journey, wherever God has done something in your life, are not things to be erased. They are not obstacles to be overcome. They often are the very things that make us unique and a gift to the world. See, God does not waste our stories. God doesn't waste our stories. Whatever you've been through, however painful it was, God is in the business of redeeming our stories and using them, not just for you, but for others. A couple weeks ago, we told the story here in the early chapters of Exodus about how Moses, at this low point in his life, impulsively murders an Egyptian as he's trying to right a wrong. He takes matters into his own hands and tries to effect justice and splat. Doesn't go well. He's found out and flees, leaving behind everything that he has ever known as he escapes into the wilderness. I'm sure he felt like a fool. Felt like his life was over. Fleeing the Pharaoh, Moses crosses this barren wasteland of the Sinai Peninsula, eventually making a new home in Midian. And then he spends 40 freaking years wandering around in the desert, caring for a bunch of stupid, stinky sheep. I mean, what was even the point? Like, how meaningless of an existence, from Pharaoh's palace to shepherding in the middle of nowhere, I am sure Moses thought, God, are you even there? Have you forgotten me? What the heck? Where was, there clearly is no purpose in my life. There is clearly no point in my pain. I'm just here to suffer and, and maybe to be punished for doing a stupid thing years ago, just wasting away in the wilderness. And yet when God calls Moses in Exodus 3 and verse 12, he says to him, when you've brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. This mountain. This mountain right here. This mountain you know like the back of your hand. This mountain where you've been shepherding and herding flocks for years. I need my people liberated from Egypt. And in order to do that, they're going to need to travel through the wasteland of the Sinai Peninsula. Hey, turns out that's the same journey that you went on. They're going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years, and hey, you know a thing or two about that. See, Moses, from where he was at, all he could see is this is pointless, this is worthless, this is judgment for terrible things I've done and mistakes I've made. And this entire time, God was preparing him for his purposes in Moses' life. To do the thing that only he in the world, that one person was uniquely qualified to do. Friends, this is wild. It didn't seem purposeful to Moses. It felt pointless. But God was overseeing and superintending every chapter of Moses' story. Friends, 
I don't know what's true for you. Maybe you're a child of divorce, divorced yourself. Maybe you spent time in lockup. Maybe you've spent time or a season trapped in pornography or alcohol or substance abuse. Right? Wherever you are at, whatever your story is, there is a reason for it. I'm not saying God caused it, but I am saying that God is with you in it. And that he longs to use precisely those, those low points of your stories, not just your gifts and your strengths, but also your wounds and your traumas and your injuries to be a gift to the world. And so, friends, this morning as we move to a close, I want to invite you not to miss it. Like, don't erase what God has done in your life. Don't erase the painful points that you have been from. Distancing yourself from those moments, as, as shameful, as embarrassing as they may in fact be, might be exactly the thing that keeps you from discovering what it is that God has for you, the purpose he has on your life.